Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. This is David Penn, episode number 48, I believe. Thank you, Tanner. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this podcast for many reasons. This is a watershed podcast. Uh, We've been working out our game here in Free People Radio, and we're making progress politically, and we're making progress personally. And this is about the well-being of the American people. It's about my well-being and it's about your well-being. So I have to ask you, are you feeling well tonight? I certainly hope you are. And I want you to know there's many times I don't feel well, and that's okay. If we didn't feel bad, there'd be no feeling good. So if you're down tonight or you're struggling tonight or you're sick tonight, let it be short and let it be the marker of one polarity so that when you get to the other side of it, you remember and you can thank God for how good you feel. I want to thank Free People Radio for giving us this platform. Really appreciate it. Great company, growing fast. Tireget.com, T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. All the tires you're ever going to need, and you fund the movement, freedom of movement. You got to buy tires. You buy them from Tireget. Go there, and you're funding this transmission, and we appreciate your support. Thank you very much. PrecinctStrategy.com. PrecinctStrategy.com. For everything you need to know to get into the game of politics, get off the bench, get in the game. Make your will part of the equation, and thank you so much for doing so. I have a little uh, preamble today uh, that I want to share, and Tanner's going to resonate with this. It's something that I learned relatively late in my life. And um, I wish somebody had told me about when I was 22, 23 years old. And it's when you're talking with someone and you use the word you, Y-O-U, you, as in you did this and you did that. When you use the word you, that's the end of communication and the beginning of conflict. When I'm talking with the people that I work with, the people that I love, my children, uh, my partner, I try to make I statements. I try to say how I feel. I make I statements. I feel sad. Not you made me feel sad. I feel sad. I'm saddened by X, Y, Z. I try to stay away from the word you. And... For those of you who know this and have practiced this, 
It works. It works. It just makes conversation, communication, and conflict resolution so much easier. So Tanner, the next time there's a conflict, and I'm sure you'll have one this week, you have children, you have a child, you have a significant other. When something comes up, if you experiment with making I statements and staying away from you statements, you're going to come in and report how much better things work. Do you want to bet me? How about a bet? I don't want to bet because I know it's the right thing. Okay. So Tanner went through a heavy thing here in the in Free People Radio this week. We got a lot of things worked out today. I'm super excited about it. And uh, I had the opportunity to play that beautiful piece uh, at the beginning that Royce White filmed right in the middle of COVID called Isolation. Please go to The Last Renaissance, the YouTube channel of The Last Renaissance, and you're going to find a bunch of brilliant filmmaking done by our young political leader, Royce White. They're really wonderful pieces. Some of them I got to participate in, which I appreciated very much. I was thinking about this podcast, which the title of this podcast is Training, which is picking up on our previous podcast. We were talking about the Ricky Cobb incident here in Minneapolis, and I made the statement that we're not getting our police and law enforcement personnel, in many cases, the kind of training that's required to minimize or perhaps even eliminate the use of lethal force. Now, if this is a training issue, then let's let's talk about training. And since I've spent my life training, people go, well, Professor Penn, how did you end up this way? It's a lifetime of training. And there's a plus and a minus to it. The plus side is I have worked my entire life to gain skill and insight and to search for truth because, after all, this is truth media. We're searching for truth. I've been doing this my entire adult life, and it's so gratifying to see, to know, to experience, to be in the moment let the past go, not project into the future, be right here with you. It's a, a skill. I've developed it. That's the positive. What's on the other pole, the, the shadow side of it? Well, there's many potential downsides, one of which you can lose your place, you can uh, have a hard time relating to people, uh, you can become arrogant and... Uh, narcissistic because you've gained skills that others don't have, take yourself too seriously, which is a, a real problem. And uh, most of the people that go through significant training go through periods where they have to uh, be humbled in their own way. And I've certainly been through that. In fact, I've been through that in a major way. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've been, you know, it says uh, God... Uh, uh, reproaches those that he loves. He must love me because he put me through my paces, right? And, uh, you know, I, I, le I left a lot of my arrogance behind, was stripped away from me uh, through many experiences. And, I, you know, they, these are the, the negatives of it. But overall, uh, we're given a mind and a body and a spirit, uh, an internal and external and a spiritual. We have that. We're going to talk about that. And to develop that, really is the uh, the true joy of living. Uh, so I urge all of us, 
and I'm certainly not going to stop myself, to find ways to develop our internal energy, our external energy, our spiritual energy, as we're going to, you know, go through tonight to, together as a, as a community. Tanner, can you play this piece uh, with uh, Wang Yi on spiritual, internal, and external training? For me, it is meaningful to introduce Hang Sudo as a martial art based on Oriental philosophy in addition to being a valid method of self-defense, Tang Sudo should be practiced to cultivate mental training to build physical health and to prevent unjust violence and conflict. We must develop three principles of Tang Sudo in combination and based on the laws of nature or the natural way. In order to achieve the above concepts, our Tang Sudo Mudokwan, the training must focus on three methods. Shimgongbap, which is based on spiritual power, Negongbap, which is based on internal power, and Weigongbap, which is based on our external power. We should train, our training should be for perfection in the studio and through studying books and films. In other words, constant study. In Tang Sudo, the methods of the basic techniques and forms are most important. That's good, Tanner. Thanks very much. So who's this guy? Well, the guy's name is Wang Gi, and he's passed away. He's been dead many years now. Uh, he was very influential in northern China and in Korea uh, from the time of the Second World War all the way up until the 1990s. Uh, he was uh, the leader of... Uh, many martial organizations, and I mean martial, like not a martial art. I'm talking about martial, secret societies. And he developed an international uh, organization called the Mudokwan, which was uh, at the street level, a karate school. At the senior level, it was a place where the most skilled came to water. And I was uh, fortunate to spend many years uh, training with these people. Uh, they were my brothers, and it was really some of the the most meaningful times of my life. I mean, these, 
these guys were serious players. I mean, we're talking about security state operatives from all over the world, law enforcement from all over the world, Secret Service, uh, you know, very accomplished people that came together to practice because they had their day job. And what they like to do when they weren't working for the military? Hey, they wanted to go practice being in the military. What a surprise. That's training. And uh, I trained with many uh, police and Secret Service and, and uh, SWAT people and went all over the world uh, experiencing the training with these people and doing things, you know, governmental things with these people was great. Uh, these people were highly skilled, highly skilled. These are the kind of people that used force very judiciously. And Wong Ki talked about three kinds of force or power, spiritual power, internal power, and external power. Well, the external power is our musculature and our bones. Our internal power is our well-being and our health and what happens on the inside of our body. And the spiritual power, the spiritual power is the ability to commune with and be in touch with that which we really can't understand. For example, blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our America and our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. So there is a a physical, a mental, and a spiritual. Or there's an external strength, an internal strength, and a spiritual strength. And what Wang Yi was talking about is we need to train and develop all three methods, all three areas of human experience. So for external training, just to make an I statement, I like to walk. And sometimes when I walk, I shadow box just like Royce was showing us in isolation. And I try to go about 30 miles a week outside, come rain, come snow. I was in a rainstorm this past week, drenched out in the cold rain. Hey, in the elements, forced to survive. I love it, the external training. And then when I'm in those elements and I'm getting rained on, now I have to look at my internal power. Can I manage that cold rain pouring in on me? Can I generate heat and well-being and centering? Do I have the health to endure that? In this case, I did. And that's why I try to walk when it's cold. I walk when it's snowing. I walk when it's raining. I stay outside in the natural way.
something all of us can do. Something as simple as walking. Walking, and then you take it up a level and you walk with style. You walk with an awareness of your big toes, of your hips. You walk from your center. You walk loosely and easily, and you stride with confidence, without tension. We'll talk more and more about this. I, I've made a career out of trying to understand this. And, you know, we see these films of people, uh, you know, drill in the military. You know, the big formations of people drilling together. Now you're walking in parade in a group. So now you're developing a group energy, a group connection, a family connection. All of these things build our physical power, our external power, our internal power. And then there's the spiritual dimension. The spiritual dimension, which is the least understood and the least trained in. And that's where the real power comes from. That's the, the center of the whole deal. The the external and the internal rests upon the spiritual. And what do they teach us about the spiritual in 2023 uh, the United States of America? They teach us it doesn't exist. That's what this whole fight is about between globalism and nationalism. The globalists want to be sure that us poor people down here trying to self-govern Far beneath them, because, of course, they've elevated themselves up. We're down here in the dirt. They call us the grassroots. They want to make sure we never discover our spiritual power. Because when we do, their con is coming to an end. And that's what the Professor Penn podcast is about. It's about helping all of us. Helping me. You're helping me. My, who, who's the biggest beneficiary? Me. David Penn, Professor Penn, because I'm continuously having to up my game now to earn the right to sit here and talk with you like this. I take it seriously. It's not a game. It's a very serious pursuit, and I appreciate you listening to me and spreading this material out because what we're doing together is discovering our well-being, our internal power, our external power, and our spiritual power. And why are we doing it? to smash these bleepers and get back our self-governance to the extent that they've convinced us that there is no spiritual world. They've got us exactly where they want us, atomized, alone, in isolation. But when we have our spiritual power back, we're connected to all things, past, present, and future. And when we make that connection, they no longer have any power. They're powerless. So this is how we're going to reclaim, at a spiritual level, how we're going to reclaim our self-governance. And this is very critical because I want to stay free, and I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for you to train. I'm asking for you to seek the truth. I'm asking, please, send out the clips and the shorts that you're going to see. You can go to any of my social media and pull down the shorts and clips and follow and take that material and send it out. We're going to have to get very serious about this crowdsourcing. We're coming up on an election. I hear a rumor that Royce White is going to declare to run for Senate here in Minnesota. We want to see him get elected. Why? He's a young man. He's better than the old fossils that average 462 years old that populate the halls of power. 
They can no longer move. They can no longer dance. They can no longer feel. They no longer have their spiritual connection. So captured are they by materialism and the new religion, the new religion of humanism. Can't even say it because it pisses me off so much. The antichrist religion that permeates our world. We need young leaders that have faith and that are training to bring well-being to all of us as the American people. So let's take a look at what this training looks like when it's uh, ritualized and fun and not very dangerous. Play this little short jindo form, uh, martial art transition. You see that right there, Tanner? Play that there. It's very quick. So that was uh, nice and pretty and short, much like when we play violin or classical music, I can see what's wrong. I mean, I, I've done this jindo form, I don't know, thousands of times. So I see many things that she could improve upon, but basically it was beautiful. And she's out in a beautiful green field and she's young and she's fantastic. And it's, you know, it's, it's self-defense and it's fun and it's for her well-being. It's a martial art. It's an art. It's meant to improve well-being. It's meant to be as a training methodology for the spiritual power, for the internal power, and for the external power. And she's doing it, and she's teaching, and she put that up, and I think it's great. Just great. And we should all find—I don't like the word should. We can all find something along these lines to do that will enhance our well-being. But now let's talk about the Ukraine, because that's not a martial art. That's martial. These people are getting down over there. The penalty for a mistake that this young woman made was, oops, I get to do it again. The penalty for getting it wrong in the Ukraine is instant death. And Tanner, just play this um, uh, Russian Special Forces training. Now this is what it's like when you train and you're not doing it for well-being in terms of your Oh, spiritual well-being. This is called well-being as in survival. Let's take a look at these, this training methodology.
That's good, Tanner. Thank you. So this is the same kind of training, only with uh, the intent being 100% focused for martial combat. It's the same training. And there's a saying in the martial, the times make the warrior. So the young woman that was practicing Jindo form, hey, you know, she's doing the same thing. She's just doing it without the pressure of tomorrow she's shipping off to the Ukraine. These Russian special forces are training the exact same martial art. It's the exact same. No difference. It's just tomorrow they're in combat, and if they fail, their tests are over. There's a, an old thing in Chinese Kung Fu, you know, don't tell us who your teacher is, don't tell us how good you are. There's only two words, horizontal, vertical. If you're horizontal, hey, it's all over. If you're vertical, you'll have another test to face. So this is about training. This is about training, and there's nothing wrong with training seriously. In fact, all training is serious. Look at the times we're living in. We need to enhance our well-being, our ability to withstand trauma and to be deprived of food and sleep and all the things that are happening to us just by being moderns in 2023. How many of you are having sleep problems, anxiety problems? I am. I don't feel bad about admitting it. I was up last night 2 o'clock in the morning wondering if I was going to be able to fall back to sleep. Because look at what's going on. Every day there's something as atrocious or even more triggering the day before. Yesterday, President Trump was indicted in Georgia. You know, this is, I think, his fourth indictment. This is unprecedented in American history. In other words, we're off the reservation. We're in unexplored territory. And when we reach unexplored territory, we don't know what's going to happen next. So to train, even if you're just going out and taking a walk, wherever you are with your well-being, and of course, I have to be very careful about this. If you have a physician or if you need to consult with a, phys a physician, please do. I don't want to get on the other side of your medical advice. But please, get outside. Spend time in nature. Walk amongst the trees. Take your shoes off and walk barefoot in the sand, in the dirt. Spend time with your physical reality. We're way too digitized, way too digitized. We become unbalanced to the digital or unbalanced actually into the mental. We need to reclaim our physical capacity. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot in the podcast to come. What are our physical capacities? How do we reclaim them? But it's training. Today, I love this podcast because it's about training. It's something I know a lot about, something I highly recommend. It's something I can endorse fully because I've done it and I know it works. It creates well-being, well-being. And of course, I don't prefer to get into combat. I don't want that. But should it come? Should combat come to me? Should I have to fight for my life? I can and I will. And that gives me confidence, and that gives me peace, and it gives me faith and hope, hope, faith and hope. It's based on the ability to 
respond, responsibility. Let's take a look at what's going on on the other side of the world, because it's not just the Russians that are training. Let's take a look at our Taiwanese frogmen. Let's see what they're doing to get ready for the next battle that they see coming up with the Chinese. All that stands between 26-year-old Wu Yuwei and joining Taiwan's Navy elite is a 100-meter path of jagged rocks known to soldiers as the road to heaven. But the only way to his dream and the finish line is to crawl. It marks the end of what trainees call Hell Week, the last of 10 weeks of a grueling course that decides who becomes a frogman, Taiwan's version of a U.S. Navy SEAL. They're already soldiers, but frogman training is completely voluntary. They're driven to train up for the unit out of patriotism and a desire to push their personal limits. The first three days of Hell Week are very exhausting, but during the last few days it will get better after your body gets used to it. But of course you have to rely on your willpower and determination. Life as a frogman isn't for the faint of heart. Neighboring China claims self-ruled Taiwan as its own and has stepped up military and political pressure on the island. Should a war break out, Taiwan's frogmen could be spirited across the strait in the middle of the night to scout enemy locations and call in attacks. Four hours at a time, frogman hopefuls have to endure everything from treading water in full combat gear to taxing physical exercises. Some fade in and out of consciousness. Blasts of cold water from a hose jolts them back to their senses. Drill Sergeant Chen Shou-Li says there is a method to the madness. The main reason for being so harsh on them is to train their willpower. Because our unit belongs to the special forces, in times of war we need to have stronger willpower and be more physically capable than other units. Less than half of this batch of trainees made it to the final stretch, the rocky road to heaven. For days they barely slept. But waiting on the other side are their families and a badge that says these soldiers are the best of the best. With his own badge in hand, 30-year-old Fu Yu says he is not afraid of death. He says he would undoubtedly give up his life for Taiwan. This is the world we live in. This is the best we can do right now. This is where we have found ourselves after hundreds of thousands of years of human existence and human evolution. We're on the precipice of great change. And however it changes, the idea of training mind, body, and spirit, internal, external, and spiritual, that's an enduring concept that as long as there's humanity, that concept will continue. And unfortunately, from my perspective, at the base, a lot of this fighting is just seeing who can get the job done. You know, there's the political and there's the machinations of old men. But out there in the field, when I was young, it was just me and the guys I was training with, and I didn't want to look dumb. So I did all kinds of crazy stuff, just trying to keep up with the other guys that didn't want to look dumb. We're out trying to cool each other. Who could be the coolest guy? Who could do the coolest bit? Who could be the most dangerous? I mean, this is just the way it is when you're in your 20s and your 30s, when you're hanging around with cats like this. And it was a lot of fun. And I really look back on it fondly. But from time to time, all the time, it's not a game. And what's happening in the Ukraine now is groups of Russian special forces are conflicting with groups of Ukrainian special forces. And then just the regular armies are fighting. And what are we finding out? We're finding out, it seems, 
that the Ukrainian army is on the verge of collapse. Yes, that's right. That's not in the mainstream media, and I'm not sure. But I'm getting the sense, as I read over reams of materials, that the Ukrainian army is about played out. As a matter of fact, uh, since I saw you last, uh, well, the Ukrainian arm, the Ukrainian government has started to evacuate uh, 37 settlements around the contested Bakhmut region. They're actually evacuating Ukrainian positions and domiciles because the Russians are coming. Hey, the Russians are coming. So we're coming up soon on a potentially watershed moment where the Ukrainian army starts to fall apart. And then we're going to have to see what President Putin does and what NATO does. Are we going to reach an agreement here now and bring an end to this? Or are they going to kick it up a notch and our other NATO countries going to get involved? And if you see that happening, well, I hope you have your... Uh, emergency food supplies, because if the other NATO countries get involved, we're getting into a world war. So let us hope, let us hope that for whatever the reason, be it fear, be it faith, that cooler heads will prevail and will reach a settlement, that the world will reach a settlement and that this conflict will come to a ceasefire and to an armistice. If it goes on, if it escalates from where it is right now, well, I'll stay here as long as I can talking to you, and I'll hope for the best. But things will be getting very, very sketchy. So let's pray. Let's thank God for bringing this conflict to an end. Let's pray that we have the chance to restore America and restore our freedoms and our self-governance. That's the chance I'm praying for. That's the chance I'm thanking God for. I'm thanking God for the opportunity to restore my self-governance. And I'm not giving up, and we'll be talking about that in a few minutes. So let's talk about this Ricky Cobb situation. I made some comments about training of police. And I said our police are not very well trained these days. I know in the 90s when I was involved in it, they were supremely trained. And I think I made the statement that there's a gap and in those gaps, in those moments where there should be a response or there should be control, in that gap, the police did not take control, and that led to the situation which culminated in the loss of life. So I want to play a couple of pieces about real training for police, the kind of training that I did in the 90s and the 80s, which I think will lessen the potential for lethal force being employed. Tanner, let's play this one on handcuffing. Law enforcement officers have one of the most dangerous jobs known to man. Within the scope of their duties, one of the most dangerous tasks is that of placing handcuffs on another person. On one hand, the officers must get dangerously close in order to apply the handcuffs on someone with unknown intentions. And on the other hand, the moment when the cuffs are being applied is when the suspect is most likely to resist violently because that's when their reality sets in. Between the close distance, the high likelihood of active resistance, and the complacency of the officers, every arrest is a disaster waiting to happen and this is why we created the zero handcuffing system
I'm Sergeant Tim Berger from the Summit County Sheriff's Office. We're out in Torrance right now doing the level two uh, Gracie GST. This stuff is fantastic. We have had zero use of force complaints since we've integrated GST. There's always cameras, there's always people that are around. We're always looking for the least force option to use. Something that's respectful to the suspect, but also is injury safe for the officer. We're now post-certified and we have basics. Compliant handcuffing, we have our zero handcuffing technique. Non-compliant handcuffing, we have the zero escort hold. We've learned how to escort a suspect with no pressure, without giving that suspect any disrespect. It's zero disrespect to the suspect, zero risk to the officer, so it's zero base. I love the way it takes the base away. We've been following more of a straight arm lock, muscle kind of uh, direct by force, and it was nice to see a tactic, more of a de-escalatory tactic. Uh, which is something that we were looking for. The zero escort and, and the zero cuffing techniques that we've learned today will benefit the entire agency when I take it back and we teach those extra little pieces. We come back and train the same similar techniques, but we still learn something new every time. And we love how it evolves with the times and what law enforcement is going through in the world right now. I've been training for over 17 years in jiu-jitsu. Um, I'm a BJJ black belt. What I really respect about the Gracies is they were able to adapt Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to be applicable to law enforcement. We gained so much confidence from this program. Thanks for watching everyone. GST is the only Jiu-Jitsu based defensive tactics program that is post certified in virtually every state in the US, medically and legally reviewed, and is now 100% accessible and certifiable online for both levels one and two. To review upcoming course dates, apply for online certification, or to learn how you can host a GST instructor certification course at your agency for free, visit gracieuniversity.com GST. The future of law enforcement defensive tactics is jujitsu and gst is how you get there we gave a little uh pitch for this because this is great this is exactly how i was trained and how i trained other people uh it was about using the minimum amount of force uh de-escalation de-confliction uh but always always on the money always in contact <clears throat> never leaving gaps always aware that your life was on the line and so was the life of the person that you were working with. This is a beautiful system, and I just hope our police here in Minnesota, if you noticed on the map, this is not approved in Minnesota. Oh, what a surprise. Hey, you know, this kind of training, this requires the warrior, the peace officer, to invest themselves in external training, internal training, and spiritual training. It puts a lot of responsibility on the officer. It develops the officer. Their life is benefited through their participation in law enforcement, just like my life is being benefited through my participation in politics. We want to find whatever we're doing, whatever it is, Tanner, whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing, we're developing our artistry. Now, we're not always recognized as artists, until the moment comes when we're recognized. What I do is I continuously train. I continuously am analyzing my deficiencies. I'm hard on myself. I can't believe some of the goofy things that I do. And I can, I'm working it constantly, trying to improve. When I'm walking, I'm thinking about fighting. I'm always on. And I know this is a strange concept, 
But being always on is the way it is. We tell ourselves we're not always on, but actually that's us lying to ourselves. At any moment, at any second, we could be confronted with something that threatens our survival. Why not be prepared? Why not? And then there's so much spiritual insight and camaraderie and connection and community that comes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be jujitsu. It could be politics. It could be going to church. It could be on the job, in the studio. Wherever we are, there's an opportunity for self-development. That's what that is. It might look on the outside like it's a bunch of people rolling around controlling each other, but what it really is is phenomenal sensitivity and appropriateness and perfect timing. It's everything you need to know in a training methodology. Now let's go to the Ricky Cobb thing. Remember what happened with Ricky Cobb? The door opened, and there was this moment where Ricky Cobb was in the car, and the officer was screaming, get out of the car. Let's look at how it's supposed to go down. Vehicle extractions. This is what it's supposed to look like. Getting a resistant suspect out of a car is a problem police officers deal with every single day. Once you open the door and unbuckle the seatbelt, here are four techniques you can use. Break the grip, pull the arm out, wedge it against the door frame, switch the underhooks, hammer lock, drop them face first, transition into handcuffs. If that fails, turn their face, establish the chin strap, squeeze your elbows together to stabilize the neck and pull them out head first and then transition right into a Randy roll. If the suspect becomes aggressive, place the collapsible steel baton behind their neck, reach under, grab the other end, and apply bilateral carotid artery compression until they comply. If the suspect leans back and begins kicking violently, hide behind the door frame to avoid getting kicked, and then use this awesome ankle lock to drag them out every single time. Boom, we're catching this right here. Come in with me, come in with me, come in with me, come in with me, come freeze. And if he has the new LeBrons, we confiscate those. <laughs> You know, I like a martial artist with a sense of humor. That guy had a great sense of humor. But you see, the point was, as soon as that door was opened, there was no kidding around. There's either the door's closed and you're talking, or the door's open and you're controlling. What happened in the Ricky Cobb deal, they were talking, the door opened, and they left a gap. And in that gap, instead of controlling the suspect and yanking his ass out of the car, they left him in the car, he drove away, he dragged an officer, and he got shot. I know it happens in a split second. I'm not here to get down on the cops. I'm saying, society, please, let's train our policemen. Policemen, join a training academy. Your life depends on it. Please, look at how smooth it happens when you're ready to go. Let's get ready to go. Let's every one of us be ready to go and there's going to be a lot less conflict. All right, moving right along today, I'm going to go into something that I think is related because this is training, and from training comes artistry. And I'm going to say everything's the same but a little different. So we're going to play 50 seconds of Yasha Heifetz, who was a great violinist, the greatest of his generation. This is maybe from... 1920 through 1960. We're going to watch him playing a very difficult piece of music, a Paganini Caprice. Look at his posture. Look how you can see. If you have eyes to see, you'll see he's centered in his center, just like he's ripping a guy out of a car. Tanner, let's let everybody take a look at Yasha Heifetz. It's the same thing, but a little different.
You know, having played the violin and aspired to play it at that level and also having yanked people out of cars, it's the same thing. I'm telling you from my own experience, it's just a little different. That required such precision. He was centered. He was so relaxed. I mean, when you're out there fighting with people and you get tensed up, hey, it's over. It's about being relaxed. It's about being appropriate. It's about the right timing. It's about seeing what's going to happen before it happens. In the case of Yasha Haif, it's about hearing what's going to happen before you hear it. These are the same things. It's training. It's training. Everything is a training opportunity. This is how we develop what they call our mind, body, and spirit, how we develop our spiritual power, our internal power, our external power. And if we are going to be all we can be, like the Marines say, what are the Marines promising us? Be all we can be. And if we're all we can be, the despots that seek to rule over us are kaput. They're done. That's why they're making us stupid. That's why they're stripping training and faith and church going and all these different techniques that we can use to develop ourselves. They're making them, in some cases, illegal. And I thought I would do something just because I've played so much music and showed so many uh males, uh, as if males are the only ones. And I, I want to just say that I don't believe that. So I want to play five minutes and 37 seconds of Hilary Hahn playing Bach. Hilary Hahn is alive right now. She's at the peak of her career right now. She is so good. And she shows all of those skills of centering, of being relaxed, of hearing it in her mind before she plays it through her hand. This is magic. And I just want to balance this out. She's such a wonderful artist. Tanner, five minutes and 37 seconds, Hilary Hahn.
That's training. That's hours every day, hours every week, hours every month, hours every year, devoted to developing that artistry, that beauty. It's exactly the same as Marshall, exactly the same. Same training, same sensitivity, same intention. It's just a little different. So having played that piece of music a lot, I mean, I, I know that piece of music, it's just so inspiring and so ennobling just to hear it as a listener, just to participate as a listener, let alone actually play it. You can develop skills as a listener. Just being a witness to that beauty is an art, to be able to take it in and understand it. Everything we do needs an element of artistry so that we can get ourselves out of the depravity and the anti-artistry we find ourselves in today. The trivial pursuits, the mind-numbing clips, the lies, the deceit, the failure, the hopelessness, all of this is combated by training. So I urge you, if it's reading a book, taking a walk, being a good parent, a good mother, a good father, a good child, whatever it is we're devoting ourselves to, let's be mindful and be serious. Because if we're going to defeat evil, which is descending upon us like a shroud, it is going to be defeated within each of us. We, every one of us, we are the solution to the problem that we have caused. We can solve it together by coming alive. They depend on us being dead. 
and stupid. No, that is not the natural state of a human being. The natural state of a human being is alive and full of life and hope and vitality. So let's let's walk down that road together so we can beat these crazy bald heads and bust them out of this game before they get control of us, which is a perfect segue into my previous Saturday I spent at the Republican Party of Minnesota's State Central Committee meeting, which was held in Elk River, Minnesota. It was attended by three, four, I don't know, must have been four or 500 people. A lot of people were there from all over the state. I was a delegate. I was elected to steward the Republican Party. It's a, you know, it's a Democratic organization. We take votes and uh, we try to pick a direction that we're going to head as a group. And we all showed up and came in at 10 o'clock, and I was there right on time to register. The event started at 11, and I walked up at 10 o'clock to the registration desk, and I was looked at the woman who was registering me, and I'd never seen her before, and I said, good morning, ma'am, and went along my conversation with the person that walked up with me because I didn't know this woman, and I showed her my greeting and my respect, and then I was looking at the person to my right, and we were talking, and I heard her say my name. And I thought to myself, wait a second, did she just say my name? And I looked at her and I said, did you just say my name? And she said, yes. I said, I don't ever remember meeting you. Do you know me? She said, yeah, I know exactly who you are. I said, you do, have we ever met? No, we never met. I said, you know my name? She said, yes, you're David Penn. I said, how do you know? I said, let me ask you a question, if you don't mind. May I ask your name? And she gave me her name. And I heard this woman's name because it's been reported to me by many people that she's running all over the the Republican Party of Minnesota speaking very mean and ill things about me. And she's never met me. She's never heard me speak. I'm not going to mention her name because, you know, that's my style. But I said to her, I said, ma'am. Of course, I called her by name. Ma'am, we've never spoken. Could I invite you out for a coffee since you want to speak so ill of me so you actually get to meet me and know who I am such that you could really have a reason to hate me? Because how can you hate a person you never met? That's goofy, right? You know what she said to me? I'll never meet with you. Wow, that's how the whole event started for me. That's what happens when you're Professor Penn. You know, you don't leave anybody cold. You got your supporters and you got your detractors. Basically, you got two groups. You got the nationalists and you got the globalists. The nationalists believe in a border and the well-being of the American people. The globalists believe in no borders, the end of the country, and governance at the superordinate level. Now, this woman, oh, she's kind of a spy because she appears to be and runs a group that acts like it is a nationalist group. But actually, she's a globalist an anti-God, anti-truth, anti-human person masquerading as a Republican. And we got a lot of those. And boy, was that on display at this event. If you had eyes to see and ears to hear, you realize the room was separated into nationalists and globalists. Now, people looked at it, they go, oh, look at all these people dressed up in red. They're Trumpers. And that was a big section of the crowd. And those people were angry. 
They threw themselves, they hurled themselves at the establishment. And of course, the establishment controlled all the levers of power. They controlled all the party officer positions and all the parliamentarian positions. They were all in lockstep. For those of you who know what that means, I hope you got a smile out of that. But they were all in lockstep to defend the status quo. And one nationalist after another hurled themselves against the wall of the status quo, going down in flames and defeat, one after another. And I watched this, and man, it was, uh, it was quite an event. It was quite an event. Mrs. We Don't Need to Protect Children was sitting right behind me, banging the drum of the globalists. You know, and these people, I have to say, some of them probably do not know what it is they believe because they just never read a book. Or if the book that they read was like, I don't know, I'm not going to be disparaging. They're just not educated. They don't know the philosophy. They don't know the ideas that are in their head. You know, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of things that are just not true. And they can say, oh, Professor Penn, what makes you so sure you're accurate and truthful? And I say every podcast, I'm not claiming I know the truth. I'm searching for truth. And in my search, I come across all kinds of information and facts and knowledge and wisdom which help me understand the world in which I live. I actually put my time in. If you're not putting your time in, if you're in the Republican Party, and you're not studying what's going on. In other words, if you're getting your news from Fox News, for example, or from CNN or MSNBC, where most of these people are getting their news, by the way, you're not getting news. You're getting kind of a representation of what somebody wants you to think the news is. I was watching a thing last night. Uh, Tucker Carlson was interviewing Robert Kennedy Jr., on his uh, platform on X. And I urge all of you to go watch it. It's almost an hour long. And Bobby Kennedy spends a very long period of time, probably 25 minutes, talking about the history of the Ukraine. And you know, I'll be son of a gun. Almost everything I've said on these podcasts, in fact, not almost, everything I've said to the word, to the person, to the date that I've discovered in my studies He's discovered in his studies. We're not coordinated. I wish I knew Bobby Kennedy. I wish he'd come on and let me talk to him. But that's never happened. I have no connectivity with him. He's just done the homework because the homework is there. You can believe that Putin is a mass murderer and that he invaded the Ukraine completely without cause and that the Ukrainians are fighting for their lives, and that we need to back them because Ukraine good, Putin bad. You can believe that. Ukrainians good, Russians bad. Very simple, isn't it? You really believe life is simple like that? Do you have anything in your life that that's sim is simple like that? Like your relationship with your parent, or your relationship with your spouse, or with your child, or with your best friend. Is it really good and bad like that? Either or? Wow, that's simple. I wish I had a couple of relationships like that, because I don't. Things are a little bit more nuanced. And this guy went through the whole history. Bobby Kennedy went through the whole history, back to just as we've done on the Professor Penn podcast. Went back to the collapse of the Soviet Union, the withdrawal out of uh, Germany by the Soviet Union's forces, by the occupation of Germany by NATO, 
by the promise made by James Baker to then uh, Gorbachev, who was in charge, President Gorbachev, that NATO would not advance one inch towards Russia, which was then quickly overthrown by Zygmunt Brzezinski, who we talked about at great length, the architect of the New World Order, who immediately started to push forward to uh, see that state after state that had been formerly part of the Soviet Union's Iron Curtain Empire was now suddenly part of NATO and how Russian the Russians were warning and warning and warning that this is a red line and how our senior diplomats were resigning and screaming that this was going to cause a war with the Russians and how one president after another was influenced by the neocons and voila, we've got a war that threatens the survival of the entire planet. Great. He found it by himself. He did his own. He saw it for himself. I saw it for myself. Please go see it for yourself. You can hear it from Bobby Kennedy. You can hear it from David Penn. But if you find it yourself and you can send that out with the, Bob, with the Bobby Kennedy clip, or with the Professor Penn clips, to all your friends, that's crowdsourcing. We've got to get the word out because the truth is being suppressed. That's really all that we need to do. A con, a long con, will fail when the marks wake up and recognize they're being conned. We're being conned on this Ukraine thing. And, you know, Bobby Kennedy said the same thing I have to say. Well, I don't endorse Putin. I don't trust Putin. I don't support what he did. He didn't need to do it. We have to say that because we don't want to be arrested as being Putin sympathizers or Russian sympathizers. First of all, we're not. To start out with, we're not. We're not interested in what goes on in Russia. We're interested in what goes on here in Minnesota, here in CD3, here in SD45. We're interested in what's going on in our own backyard. And every place I look, I see these Ukrainian flags like it's the flag of peace, like it's the flag of justice, when in fact, it's the flag of subterfuge. It's the flag of a CIA operation, of a coup d'etat, of broken promises and broken lives and murder and biolabs and every bad thing that you've ever read that is allegedly a conspiracy but we're going to find out one day, and hopefully one day soon, it's a fact. You know, it's not a conspiracy when it turns out to be true. Kind of like John Kennedy being killed by the lone gunman, and some 20 years later we find out what? What? It was a conspiracy, according to the investigation of our own Congress, our own elected leaders. So we have this Ukraine thing. It's horrifying. Do you think that came up at the State Central Committee? Do you think having a vote on the Ukraine came up? No, it did not. Here's what came up. And no less important, I might add. One young man got up. I know his name, but I'm not going to mention his name. And bravely approached the podium and demanded that the State Central Committee condemn the banana republic-like indictments of President Trump. And the room went crazy, just crazy. Because, of course, about half the people in that room that represent the traditionalists in the Republican Party hate Trump. And I know that's a fact because I'm prominent in the party and I've been approached over and over again to renounce Donald Trump, as if that's my role in life, to renounce Donald Trump. I don't know what these people are thinking. 
they're trying to destroy this man's presidency or his candidacy. Well, they tried to destroy his presidency too, and they did a damn good job of it. But they're just, they're trying to destroy his candidacy, the neutral arbiters, the Republican Party. It's supposed to be a neutral platform through which candidates express their ideas. They're putting their fingers on the scale. What is that? I'm not supposed to, you know, criticize another Republican even by inference, but they're out there trying to undo Trump. They're trying to kill the baby in the bathwater. And then guess who shows up? Representative Tom Emmer. Oh, he's the keynote speaker, my antagonist. Uh, and again, I heard, why do you criticize Republicans, Professor Penn? Why do you do that? Why don't you attack the Democrats? Hey, I'm going to attack the Democrats. I'm going to attack globalists wherever I find them. Because the distinction, Democrat and Republican, is a con. Let's spread that out amongst all of our friends and relatives. Tanner, no Democrats and Republicans. Let's drop that. It's irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. It's nationalists and globalists. I have a question for you. Would you like to have a country, or do you want to live under one world governance? There's no wrong answer. What's your answer? I, the country. Yeah. You want a country? Yeah, I want a country. Great. Tanner's 22, 23? 23. 23. Somehow he stumbled on the United States of America. He says, hey, this is a pretty good idea. I like this United States of America. I don't want to live in the wall in Saudi Arabia where you're going to go check yourself into a minimum security prison and pay rent to be imprisoned. He doesn't want that. He has a certain streak of disestablishmentarianism. He doesn't want to be a subject or be ruled. I watched it today. This kid, he'd get in a fight before he'd let anybody tell him what to do. And I respect that. I respect that. That's how we have to be. If you're going to the doctor to digress, and the doctor gives you a diagnosis, and you say, okay, doctor, tell me what I should do. And then you do whatever you tell the doctor to do. And that's you. And the next guy has the exact same disease. And the doctor says, I have a diagnosis. And you say to him, how do I know your diagnosis are, is right? I want another opinion. Well, I'm okay, get another opinion. Oh, how do I know this treatment is correct? I don't trust you. You know, that non-trusting person, that pain-in-the-ass person has a better chance of surviving than the person that takes it straight and doesn't fight back. I don't know why that is, but that is a research result. Question everything. We live in a democracy, a republic, science. We question everything, but not in the Republican Party. Oh, they were very insulted that these people were taking the time to come up and say, we want the party to take a position in defense of Donald Trump. People didn't like that. They don't like that. They don't want us to do politics. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is knock on doors, pass out candy at parades, and smile nicely, and do what we're told like good subjects. That's who the party is. And you know what I got to say, and I've said it before? Up yours! We're not doing it like that. The country has real problems. The philosophy of the parties, not just the Republican Party, the Democrat Party too, 
These parties underlie the problems we're facing today. So I want there to be conflict. I want there to be disagreement. And then right away they say, oh, we need unity. There's all these pleas for unity. We can't, we can't win without unity. And then this guy that was there who was an ex-Marine stands up and says, unity? We don't have to like each other. This was brilliant because I say this all the time. We don't have to like each other. We don't have to agree. We can be teammates and hate each other and still get the job done and work out our differences on the move. That's artistry. Quit making people shut up. People speak up. We want to hear what you have to say, or at least I do in the American Citizens Movement. I expect it to be messy. I expect it to be raucous, and I expect people to come with their opinions and please come. And for those of you who are listening, I'm appealing to you. Go to my social media, download the clips and the shorts, and send them out. Stimulate the dialogue. Use me as a change agent. You don't have to say you like it. Hey, I heard this guy, Professor Penn, listen to this one, and you send it out. People go, oh, he's an asshole. Great. Somebody else is going to say, how do I get involved in this movement? We met today. We're working on the websites. We're moving ahead full speed. We're going to get here. we got plenty of time. Let me tell you, if you're in Minnesota, caucuses are February 27th. February 27th. And there's a strategy now that's emerging. I told you on my board, all the globalists resigned. Well, I got a call today. All the globalists on another board resigned. Oh, you think that's uncoordinated? Of course it's coordinated. What they're doing is, is they're setting us up to fail, and they're going out in the community and doing their thing so we can't see what they're doing. Okay, it's a throwdown. We are going to go out into the community and organize it. This is no talking. There's no more BSing. If you want to get involved, now's the time. Right now, we're in the run-up to the 2024 presidential election. We need to get going. You're going to get a website real soon. We're going to be traveling every community, every precinct, every district. We need all hands on deck. And we saw this fight at the State Central Committee. There was several efforts to unseat the executive director of the party, the chairman. They say they come up and said, hey, let's vote the bum out. And then there was fighting and screaming and hollering and parliamentary procedure. Anyhow, he kept his job. What a surprise. We cannot win by fighting the uni party. They are more than capable of repelling every assault on their control the same way they took down the Tea Party, the same way they took down the Ron Paul people, the same way they took down the Occupy Wall Street people. These people are in control of the hierarchies of both parties. If we want change, if we want community well-being, if we want peace and prosperity for the American people, we're going to have to organize a whole new group of people. We're going to have to wake people up give them their metaphorical red pills, and help them get organized. And that's what politics is. We're in an evangelical sales organization. So we got salesmen, like Professor Penn. I'm a good salesman. At least I hope you think I'm good. I like to think I'm good. We got the closers. We got the ropers. We got the administrative people. We've got to get organized 
in every district. And I'm going to say this to my listeners and my viewers. I have gone to the most important people in conservative media who I have connections with, and I have said that one of the principal fault lines in the globalist national battle is here in Minnesota. And we're going to be attracting attention to Minnesota, as I hope you do in your state. Any one of you can stand up and be better than Professor Penn. Any one of you can be a leader. We're in a moment of great historical significance. Whatever I was before this started is irrelevant. Whatever mistakes I made, yes, it's relevant in my own life. But as I move from narcissism to altruism, whatever narcissistic errors I made as a younger man no longer matter. I've dedicated myself to a set of spiritual goals and ideals. I've lost myself in that. And in losing myself, I've lost a lot of my mistakes and sins. It's healing to devote myself to something greater than myself. Or, as a great philosopher once said, if I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? And I don't have that problem anymore. I know I have to take care of myself, and I thank God every day for taking care of me, for directing my path, for providing for all my needs. I thank God for providing for all my needs, and I have faith that God will do so. Have that faith. Every day I tell myself, the faith of a mustard seed. I need that faith. I need that faith to go ahead and dedicate myself to this battle, spiritual battle, going on right in front of me in the Republican Party, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Trump was very, very prominently featured in this, in this battle, and um, there was no real effort to protect him. It was voted into insignificance, into obscurity. And I'm, I feel so sorry for all these nationalists that were there. They're unorganized. If but they could be organized into one group. So if you're out there and you believe in the United States of America, if you believe in borders, if you believe in jobs, if you believe in a well-being architecture for the American people, if you believe that we're all children of God, that the Creator gave us unalienable rights, if you believe these things and really believe them with faith, find me. I'm not hard to find. Many of you know I'm in the live chat every time. You can go to Target Support and contact me, and very shortly, Free People of America is going to be up, and we're going to be a family. And we want to spread this out in every precinct in Minnesota. It's go time now. It's go time. The people that are listening to me in Minnesota, we're organized. We're not getting organized. We are organized. We're moving out into every district. We're going to find every citizen that wants to maintain their individual sovereignty, that wants to strengthen their citizenship, that wants to protect the country from globalism, from lies, from deceit, from trickery. They're out there, hundreds of thousands of them, waiting for real citizens to knock on their door and say, hey, here we are. You've been waiting for us. You don't have to be in isolation anymore. We're a community. We're a family. We want to treat you the way we want you to treat us, and that's with love and respect. 
We're not using anybody. We are not the old parties. We're the new party. We're American citizens working to preserve this republic. And it's a beautiful thing, and we're all going to be together on it. And I'm a salesman for it, and I love doing this work, as dangerous as it is, as time-consuming as it is, and as frustrating as it is, this is the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done a lot of cool things. It's not like I was sitting on the bench. I've been involved in serious pursuits my entire life, and all of them pale in front of this opportunity to serve my God and my country and my family. So I'm urging every one of you to find one of those strategies, be it getting involved in the parties, writing your senators and your representatives, your state representatives, becoming a candidate, donating money, uh, walking in a parade, being part of the crowdsourcing strategy and being an editor and sending out the material. Be part of the movement. This is not a passive pursuit. This is not a passive pursuit. It's not going to work. If we're passive, we're going to lose our freedom. We only maintain our freedom and our well-being if we actually work at this together as one community. Young Tanner, he's in here with me. He's producing for me. I, you know, I, I don't know how he thinks about it, but how I think about it, he's doing his part helping me, and I appreciate it, and I'm very thankful to him for putting his time and his skill and his artistry into making these podcasts. I think it's great, and I try to include him. He's doing something. 23 years old. He's a kid, but he's actually doing something that's meaningful from my perspective. He may have a different perspective. We all stand on different street corners after all. But let us not kid around about this. I went to the State Central Committee. It was on a Saturday. It's summertime. It's August. It's beautiful. It was very acrimonious, very conflict-orientated, not uplifting. I left feeling pretty crappy. You know, it's not about how I feel on any one event. I went to another deal last night, Monday night, another meeting. Again, I left feeling crappy. You know, when I leave feeling crappy, you know what my conclusion is? I'm not doing a very good job being me. It's an opportunity for me to enhance my artistry. It's an opportunity for me to find a higher level of self-expression as I'm doing with you here today. I don't need to put on a front. I don't need to act like anything. I need to ensue treating you as I want you to treat me. I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my might and all my soul. I just need to do these two things 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and hopefully that will spread. And when we all are doing that, when we're all working together in that way, the globalists are doomed. Their lives are going to fall apart. So let me end with a lie. I want to end with a lie. For those of you who are students of history, we have been taught that the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to bring an end to World War II and spare the lives of both American soldiers and Japanese civilians that would have died needlessly in an invasion of Japan. And that's a fairly commonly held belief. I even had a uh, 
friend of mine, a little bit older than me, call because I put this out in one of my newsletters, the News That Matters, that that's not really what happened. And he, he sent me an email and said, thank you. It never occurred to me that this narrative was a scam, a con. I want to read to you, and I, I this is so interesting. I'm going to read to you a series of quotes from powerful military and civilian leaders who were alive at the time of the dropping of the atomic bomb. We were taught it was necessary and just. Well, here's what General Dwight Eisenhower said, who was the commander of all forces on D-Day and who ended up being a United States president for eight years. I had been conscious of a feeling of depression and voiced to Secretary of War Stimson my grave misgivings. First, on the basis of my belief that Japan was already defeated and that dropping the bomb was completely unnecessary. And secondly, because I thought that our country should avoid shocking the world opinion through the use of a weapon whose employment was, I thought, no longer mandatory as a measure to save American lives. It was my belief that Japan was, at that very moment, seeking some way to surrender with a minimum loss of face. That's the main guy. Dropping the bomb was completely unnecessary. Here's Admiral, Admiral, Admiral William Leahy, President Truman's chief of staff. The use of this barbarous weapon was of no material assistance in our war against Japan. The Japanese were already defeated and ready to surrender because of the effective sea blockade and the su successful bombing with conventional weapons. Wow. Here's a quote from General Curtis LeMay, who is a renowned butcher and is nobody's thinking about this guy as a nice guy. This guy made air power into a genocidal art. The war would have been over in two weeks without the Russians entering and without the atomic bomb. The atomic bomb had nothing to do with the end of the war at all. General Hap Arnold of the U.S. Army Air Force. The Japanese position was hopeless even before the first atomic bomb fell because the Japanese had lost control of their own air. It always appeared to us that atomic bomb or no atomic bomb, the Japanese were already on the verge of collapse. Again, same thing. Ralph Byrd, Undersecretary of the Navy. The Japanese were ready for peace, and they already had approached the Russians and the Swiss. In my opinion, the Japanese war was really won before we ever used the atom bomb. Brigadier General Carter Clark, a military intelligence officer. When we didn't need to do it, and we knew we didn't need to do it, we used Hiroshima and Nagasaki as an experiment for two atomic bombs. Many other high-level military officers concurred. Here's a great name. Fleet Admiral Chester Nimitz. If you don't know him, look him up. He's famous. Pacific Fleet Commander. Doesn't get much higher than that. The use of atomic bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki was of no material assistance in our war against Japan. The Japanese were already defeated and ready to surrender. This was the first great lie. This was the first great lie. 
the use of these weapons and the cover-up as if they needed to be used. Why were they used? They were used to show the world that we were in control of the most deadly technology in human history, and you do what we say or we're going to nuke you. And that's what we did. That's who we are. That's the leaders that we elected, the neocons of 1944 and 45. The neocons. We had them then, and we have them now. And they have no problem using nuclear weapons because they're out of their minds. They are not human beings like you and me. I wouldn't drop a nuclear bomb because I wouldn't want one dropped on me. Isn't it obvious? These people are insane. They have nothing to do with the fundamental principles upon which a good and healthy life can be lived. This is the first great lie of the modern era, that the bombs needed to be used. The second great lie was John Kennedy was killed by a lone gunman. And we've perpetuated lie after lie after lie. We've been conditioned to accept lies. And that is why we're losing our freedom, because we accept lies. So how do we oppose this? We just simply search for the truth together as a community of loving people that care for one another. That's all we need to do. And it can happen very quickly. And there's artistry in it. So I want to go out. Once again, this is going to be Oystrock one last time, this time playing the third of the three great violin concertos. There's the Brahms, there's the Tchaikovsky, and there's the Beethoven violin concerto. These are the three great concertos that every soloist must play to establish their place in the pantheon of great performers. So we're going to go out with this Oystrock piece playing the Beethoven violin concerto. This is uh, with uh, Sir Adrian Bolt and the London Symphony, Symphony Orchestra in 1968. Here's what we have. This is why classical music is no longer popular. We have a Russian communist violinist playing the music of a German composer in the Crown's Royal Music Hall, the Royal Albert Hall of London. So we've got a communist violinist playing a German's music in the Crown's Music Hall. That is power. And this is precisely why you and I don't listen to classical music, because it heals the rifts and the splits that separate us one from the other. So I want to thank you very much for being with me. I look forward to seeing you soon again. And Tanner, can you please take us out with this uh, beautiful piece of music? Welcome back to the Royal Albert Hall, where David Oystrak is going to play Beethoven's Violin Concerto.
Thank you.